Welcome to NTD Evening News. All eyes on the U.S.-Mexico border tonight. A setback for Texas. A federal judge says the state must stop arresting illegal immigrants. Arian Pastar brings us a live update from Eagle Pass. Biden and Trump on dueling visits to the southern border. What's different in their approach and what solutions they are each proposing. Iris Tau also reporting from Texas. A delivery of humanitarian aid to the Gaza Strip turns deadly as crowds swarm the trucks. Witnesses say Israeli forces fired on the crowd of people, while Israel gives a different version of events. Jason Perry reports. The House of Representatives passing a stopgap bill to avoid a partial government shutdown this Friday. Louise Martinez will join us from D.C. with the details. Senator John Cornyn hopes to replace Senator Mitch McConnell as one of the nation's top GOP leaders. What are Republicans looking for from new leadership? This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City, here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. Two presidents down at the southern border today. We'll start with Eagle Pass, Texas, where former President Trump just gave remarks. Entity's Arian Pastar is live on the ground. Arian, what is the situation and what does the former president have to say? That's right, Tiff. Uh, former President Trump was here at Shelby Park together with Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Now, as soon as the two of them arrived, we saw local law enforcement giving them a tour of the park, basically showing them the facilities, showing them the entire border area and everything that belongs to it, basically. After that, former President Trump gave his remarks where he praised local law enforcement and praised the state of Texas, saying they're doing a great job in securing the border. And as expected, Trump also blamed the ongoing immigration crisis on President Biden. Let's now take a look at what Trump said. But this is a Joe Biden invasion. This is a Biden invasion over the past three years. If you look at uh, Arizona, they haven't done anything there. Governor hasn't done a thing, and the governor in California hasn't done a thing. People are flowing through there like nothing, but Texas is very secure and it's going to be even more secure by the time you finish, which will be soon. Sorry, Tiff, there is also a pretty big update in regards to the border standoff between the state of Texas and the Biden administration. So just today, a federal judge struck down a Texas law which gave local law enforcement the authority to arrest illegal immigrants. Now, the law is known as Senate Bill 4, and besides just arresting illegal immigrants, Texas was planning to use this law to deport illegal immigrants in the future. And Arian, Trump gave remarks at Shelby Park. This area has kind of been at the center of the border standoff between the state of Texas and the Biden administration. Any updates on that? Yeah, so again, the standoff has this update that the, that the judge struck down Texas law, which is the latest development, I would say. But this might change, so that's not, this ruling could still change. It is most likely going to the Supreme Court, because the issue here, Tiff, is that the U.S. Constitution says that immigration is the job of the federal government, right? It's not the job of the state. However, Abbott argues that his state is being invaded, which would give Texas the authority to enforce immigration law. Now, this judge I mentioned today, he didn't side with Texas. He said that uh, Texas is not being invaded. So again, this is most likely going to the Supreme Court. Now, lastly, Abbott did already respond to this ruling, saying that Texas will appeal the decision. Tiff, back to you. 
a lot to watch out for. Thanks for that update, Arian. Former President Trump on Wednesday appealed an Illinois ballot ban. He's asking an appellate court to overturn an order that removes him from the state's primary ballot. NTD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has details on the filing, plus updates on the Florida and Georgia cases. On Wednesday evening, former President Trump appealed an Illinois judge's order to remove him from the state's primary ballot. The appeal came just hours after a Cook County Circuit judge found that he engaged in an insurrection on January 6, 2021. The judge agreed to pause the removal until after the appeal process is complete, which keeps Trump on the ballot for the March 19th primary. The ruling comes before the Supreme Court has issued a final ruling on whether or not Trump should remain on Colorado's ballot. In Florida, Trump calls special counsel Jack Smith's indictment a shotgun pleading. In the latest filing to dismiss the classified documents case, Trump's legal team argues the counts against the former president are unconstitutional because they are too vague and that the indictment shows a pattern of using ambiguous questions to charge true statements as false. Trump's team filed four other motions to dismiss last week based on various legal arguments, including presidential immunity and selective and vindictive prosecution. Attorneys from both sides will meet with Judge Eileen Cannon on Friday. Cannon is expecting an update on the D.C. election interference trial, which is on hold while the Supreme Court considers Trump's presidential immunity claim. On Friday, Cannon will address the special counsel's request to delay the trial, but with the D.C. case indefinitely on hold, Cannon could schedule a trial date for as early as this summer. In Georgia, Judge Scott McAfee will hear final arguments on Friday over claims against District Attorney Fonnie Willis and her top prosecutor, Nathan Wade. Willis and Wade admitted to having a romantic relationship, which defense attorneys say presents a conflict of interest in the case. Willis issued dozens of indictments in August 2023, accusing Trump of engaging in a conspiracy to overturn Georgia's 2020 election results. The defense has accused Willis of misusing taxpayer funds and crossing ethical boundaries. Judge McAfee will ultimately decide if Willis and her office should be removed from the case. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Should Fonnie Willis be disqualified? You can watch the arguments tomorrow and decide for yourself during our special coverage starting at 1 p.m. Eastern right here on NTD News. And this Justin, the House Oversight Committee has unsealed the Hunter Biden deposition transcript. The 229-page document is now available for online viewing and downloading at house.oversight.gov. It's reported that Hunter's business associates went to the White House at least 80 times during Joe Biden's term as vice president. Hunter Biden has denied his father's involvement in his business dealings. And we have some more breaking news. Former National Guard member Jack Deshira will plead guilty to leaking classified Pentagon documents. That's according to court papers filed in his federal case. Deshira was indicted on six counts of willful retention and transmission of national defense information. Each count is punishable by up to 10 years in prison. The former National Guardsman is accused of carrying out the most serious national security leak in years. He allegedly shared classified U.S. military material beginning in early 2023 on the social media platform Discord. The Shira has been in detention since he was arrested in April last year. 
President Biden is in Brownsville, Texas, as he ramps up pressure for Republicans to pass the bipartisan border deal. But some locals are questioning the timing and location of Biden's border visit. Joining us now live is NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao, who is in Brownsville. Good evening to you, Iris. What is the latest with President Biden's visit there? Good evening to you as well, Tiff. So President Biden wrapped up his speech right here in Brownsville around approximately the same time as former President Trump did with his speech in Eagle Pass, which is hundreds of miles away. And President Biden in his speech appeared to hold out an olive branch to his likely 2024 rival, calling on Trump to join him in urging Republicans in Congress to pass a bipartisan border deal. Here's what President Biden said was his message to Trump. Watch. Instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me, or I'll join you in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. You know and I know it's the toughest, most efficient, most effective border security bill this country has ever seen. Trump has been openly criticizing the border deal as still allowing way too many illegal immigrants to come in and just not an effective solution to the border crisis. So it's unclear or even unlikely that former President Trump will actually join Biden in urging Republicans to pass it. But the very fact that President Biden is now saying he's willing to work with Trump shows how much President Biden's at least open stance on the border issue has evolved, especially amid a record number of legal immigrants coming in and also amid this small polling numbers for himself, likely partially because of this ongoing border crisis. Meanwhile, President Biden's visit here today in Brownsville is also sparking some controversy as locals say he picked this location because there's not many illegal immigrants coming in through this port. Here's what some Trump supporters told us when they were organizing a protest to Biden's visit. Watch. He should have went somewhere where there's more people crossing. He's coming a bit too late because now we only have a very few coming through. It is because of Governor Abbott. And today I also spoke with a former Border Patrol agent who told me that illegal crossings, at least at this part of the border, did come down right after the Biden administration talked with the Mexican government. But he says that does not mean that he's going to give administration full credit. Watch. Recently, we saw a massive decrease, um, especially here in Texas. It also shows that they could have done this from day one. I'm very slow to give them credit for something that they could have done three years ago. According to the latest CBP, CBP data and Eagle Pass, where Trump was speaking today, there have been over 2,000 illegal immigrant encounters over the past five days. But here in Brownsville, over the last five days, there have only been some about a dozen, dozens of illegal encounters right here. So two very different backdrops here when the two presidential candidates gave speeches presenting two very different messages. Back to you, Tiff. Iris, thank you for that update. As the war rages on in the Gaza Strip, many residents struggle to find enough food to feed their families. In what was said to be a way to address their needs, the delivery of humanitarian aid turned tragic. NTD's Jason Perry has the story and a warning. This report contains footage that some viewers may find disturbing.
On Thursday, crowds of people swarmed humanitarian aid trucks as they entered the northern Gaza Strip. An Israeli government spokesperson explained. My understanding thus far is that uh, humanitarian aid vehicles entered the Gaza Strip and were overwhelmed by uh, people attempting to essentially loot. At some point, the trucks were overwhelmed and the people driving the trucks, which were Gazan civilian drivers, uh, plowed into um, the crowds of people. The Hamas-run health ministry reported 104 people were killed while trying to get humanitarian aid. Another Palestinian man said the truck carrying humanitarian aid became a truck carrying the dead and wounded. Some witnesses said that Israeli troops opened fire on people who were waiting for the aid. Situation is surreal and chaotic. If aid is to come to us in this way, we do not want it. But the IDF says the tanks were there to secure a humanitarian corridor for the aid to be delivered. And they fired warning shots to try to disperse the crowd. When the hundreds became thousands and things got out, out of hand, the tank commander decided to retreat to avoid harm to the thousands of Gazans that were there. Department of State spokesperson Matthew Miller said an investigation is underway. Meanwhile, Israel, along with other countries, have been using other methods to get humanitarian aid into the Gaza Strip. This week, several countries, including Israel, the UAE, Jordan, France, and the United States, helped airdrop 160 packages of food and medical supplies to the residents of the southern Gaza Strip. This is where Israel may soon conduct ground operations in the southern Gaza city of Rafah if Hamas does not release the 100-plus hostages by Ramadan. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu gave an update on the latest ceasefire negotiations. It is too early to say, despite our will, if we will get to a deal in the coming days. But one thing is clear, we will not fold in front of the illusory demands from Hamas. Netanyahu has said that once Israel begins ground operations in Rafah, total victory will be weeks away. Jason Perry, NTD News. Russian President Vladimir Putin told NATO countries today that they risk nuclear conflict if they send troops to Ukraine. Putin issued the warning during his annual address to Russia's parliament and other members of the country's elite. The United States and key European allies this week said they had no plans to send ground troops to Ukraine, but France earlier hinted at the possibility. Putin added that Russia must strengthen its military in the country's west after Finland and Sweden's admission to NATO. Coming up, a short-term deal to avoid government shutdown. Our Washington correspondent tells us all about the stopgap measure that just passed the House. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin in the hot seat today, fielding rounds of questions from lawmakers over his secret hospitalization in January. Find out what he said during his testimony. And with the new funding bill, the U.S. national debt continues to spiral upward. Our guest says it's wrong to put the pressure on future generations. Details on that and more when we come back.
Welcome back. We have more breaking updates on former President Trump's legal cases. In his classified documents case, special counsel Jack Smith has asked for a trial date of July 8th. This is according to the latest motion he filed with the federal court in Florida. The House of Representatives passed a new stopgap bill today with bipartisan support, but not everyone was happy with the new government funding deadlines. Our Washington correspondent Luis Martinez has more on the story. The House of Representatives has passed a short-term spending measure to avert the partial government shutdown coming this Friday. Speaker Mike Johnson's new plan is to vote on six appropriation bills before March 8th and the remaining six before March 22nd. The new government funding continuing resolution was proposed late Wednesday night and voted on Thursday afternoon. Speaker Mike Johnson sees this as an overall win for the funding process. Appropriations process is, is ugly. Democracy is ugly. Um, this is the way it works every year, always has, except that we've instituted some new innovations. We broke the omnibus fever. Close to 100 Republicans do not agree with the speaker's assessment and adamantly oppose the new continuing resolution. We need to use the power of the purse to shut it down and, shut, and not fund these departments that are attacking the American people. It seems like they're kicking the can and frankly I've been at the point in perspective of I've never agreed with it from the beginning. You can see that on my voting record. I think we need to do those 12 standalone appropriation bills and and frankly, if Congress wants to do something, it's at least let's do our job. And so I'd actually be in favor of completely shutting down the government until we can secure the border. Lawmakers have already an agreement in principle on the first six appropriation bills. That's agriculture, energy, commerce, transportation, interior, and housing and urban development. According to Democratic Caucus Chairman Pete Aguilar, it's the second group of six bills that will most likely present a problem. Uh, we're, we're cautiously optimistic that we can meet these deadlines. Um, I think that, you know, clearly the second group of, of bills um, could be, you know, difficult and problematic, especially as Republicans in the House continue to uh, insist on policy riders that erode um, women's reproductive freedom. The second group of appropriation bills, which needs to be approved before March 22nd, are related to defense, labor, education, homeland security, financial services, state and foreign operations, and legislative branch measures. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Luis Eduardo Martinez, NTD News. On Capitol Hill today, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin facing tough questions from lawmakers over the lack of transparency surrounding his hospitalization. Speaking before the House Armed Services Committee, Austin acknowledged his responsibility but said he had no intention to keep his illness in the dark. There was never any lapse in authorities or in command and control. At all times, either I or the Deputy Secretary was in a position to conduct the duties of my office. But we did have a breakdown in notifications during my January stay at Walter Reed. Again, we did not handle this right, and I did not handle it right. Chairman Mike Rogers requested the hearing. He said it was necessary due to Austin's unwillingness to provide candid and complete answers. The White House was not informed of Austin's hospitalization until three days after he was admitted. The defense chief today said the DOD is working to prevent such a relapse from happening again. This week, a Pentagon review found no ill intent behind Austin's absence, but the department did make a series of recommendations to adjust protocols. The FBI has raided the home of a top advisor to New York City Mayor Eric Adams. 
An FBI spokesperson confirmed that agents carried out early morning raids at two properties in the Bronx. They are owned by Winnie Greco, a former fundraiser to Adams, who now serves as a special advisor of Asian affairs. Federal authorities are currently investigating the mayor over his 2021 campaign fundraising. Greco worked closely with Adams for over a decade. She is at least the third aide to Adams, whose home was targeted by federal agents. In November, the city opened a probe into potential misconduct in Greco's fundraising activities. Joining us now to talk about the latest funding bills in Congress in the national debt is Jenny Beth Martin. She's the co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots. Jenny Beth Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Now, to begin, the House has just voted to avert a partial government shutdown. Now, this is moving to the Senate. Where do you see all of this going? Well, it is temporary, so they have just basically kicked the can down the road by a week. The deadline was tomorrow, and they've now moved it through to March 8th, and then another deadline happens on March 22nd. I think what we're going to see is that there are going to be appropriation bills that move through, and the spending levels that we wind up seeing are still not going to be what conservatives like myself want want to see. But I also think that Speaker Johnson is going to do what he can to avoid a shutdown, even though there are many within the House conference who are not afraid of having that fight, especially if they're having the fight over funding and um, not just funding, but additional law that would secure the border and tighten border security. But I don't think that's, that that is going to actually happen. On the note of kicking the can down the road, many have raised the issue that U.S. debt has now passed $34 trillion. And they're adding that if this just keeps continuing, we could rack up too much debt. Now, as a co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots, how do you view the debt issue? I think the debt is a very real problem. A lot of people think that it's something that our children and grandchildren will have to contend with. But if interest rates get too high and the interest on the debt becomes too burdensome, it affects our generation as well. And whether it affects our generation or our children or our grandchildren or all three, it's out of control and it's wrong and it's irresponsible, and I think it's immoral to spend so much money that you don't have and to put that burden on future generations. And, and honestly, it's part of the reason why the Tea Party movement began 15 years ago, because the government spending was so much and it was increasing the debt so much. Of course, at the time, we we're a little over um, $10 trillion, and now we're at 34, 35 trillion, and it just continues to mount. Switching gears a little bit here in the Senate, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell announced yesterday that he will be stepping down as leader in November, but not leaving the Senate. Who do you see as a potential successor? Well, I would love it if it were Mike Lee or Rick Scott. I don't know that they have the votes, but I do think that um, the conservative wing within the, the uh, Senate Republican conference is strong enough to make a difference on who will become the next the next leader. John Cornyn, of course, is pushing to become the leader, and John Thune and also John Barrasso are attempting are likely going to attempt to be the leader. What we need to make sure of is that the next leader changes how the Senate functions. 
and gets us back to the way the Senate should be functioning rather than so many deals happening behind closed doors, rather than using the power to pressure Republican senators rather than using the power to put pressure on the opposition party, the Democrat party. And I think that it's very important that the next leader actually does something that advances conservative policies rather than working so hard to make deals to just go along with what many call the uniparty in Washington, D.C. Now, given the potential partial government shutdown deadline that was looming today, Super Tuesday coming up, and the fact that Mitch McConnell did not endorse President Trump, what do you make of the timing of his announcement that he's not going to be the Senate leader? Well, I think that the announcement is happening because there were discussions going on behind closed doors, behind the scenes, among senators themselves, potentially challenging the leader even now, rather than waiting until November after the election. And I think that part of the reason he's announcing that he's stepping down is to try to stop that from happening right now. We already saw that happen in the House of Representatives. And a year ago, a few years ago, people may have thought that was just impossible and that the, the leadership within the House or the Senate wouldn't change in the middle of um, a, a, a session of Congress. But we have seen that that has happened in the House of Representatives more than once since the Tea Party started. And I think that the same kind of thing was beginning to uh, simmer under the surface in the Senate. And I think that's why he's announced. Jenny Beth Martin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Pennsylvania has a new election security task force. Governor Josh Shapiro unveiled the effort today. It aims to span federal, state and local agencies. The election threats task force includes officials from at least 10 government entities. Those range from election administration and law enforcement to homeland security and emergency management. The goal is to safeguard the 2024 vote in this battleground state from interference like voter intimidation and misinformation about voting and elections. Coming up soon is Super Tuesday, and NTD News will be covering all the action. We'll have a lot prepared for you, including special guests on the ground coverage and the Data Hub. Join Steve Lance and myself on The Nation Decides 2024, live next Tuesday, March 5th at 6 p.m. Eastern. Coming up, President Biden and former President Trump make competing visits to the southern border. Our guest says one of them is not being truthful about the border crisis. And over a million acres burned in Texas. The wildfires sweeping through the Texas panhandle threatened more homes, forcing evacuations. We'll have that and more when we come back here on NTD News. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some today's top headlines. An estimated 100 people were killed in Gaza when crowds swarmed trucks carrying humanitarian aid. That's according to the Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry. Israel says civilian drivers from Gaza plowed into the crowds. Israel and other countries in the region have been using other methods, such as airdrop to deliver humanitarian aid into the territory. The House voted to pass a stopgap funding bill to avert a partial government shutdown for one more week. It would give lawmakers more time to pass full-year budget bills. 97 Republicans and two Democrats voted against the measure. 
Former President Trump appealed an Illinois judge's ruling to remove him from the state's ballot. And in the classified documents case, Trump filed a new motions for dismissal, saying the charges against him are, quote, too vague. President Biden and former President Trump made dueling visits to different sectors of the Texas-Mexico border. Each blamed the other for the ongoing border crisis. A federal judge blocked a new law in Texas that would allow the state to arrest illegal immigrants. The judge said it violated the Constitution's Supremacy Clause, which grants the federal government sole authority over immigration matters. To react to the competing border visits today, we have Alfonso Aguilar. He is the former Chief of U.S. Office of Citizenship and now Director of Hispanic Engagement at the American Principles Project. Alfonso Aguilar, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, there's a tale of two border cities today as President Biden and former President Trump are both at the border now. Both are blaming each other for the immigration crisis. Now, what do you see coming out of this visit or is this just a political stunt for both of them? Well, they're, they're in a campaign, so obviously it's politics. But at least I have to say President Trump is going there to tell the truth to highlight the border crisis that we're facing, which is affecting the entire country. Whereas Joe Biden is going to Brownsville, a place that is relatively calm now to, to lie to the American people, to basically say that we have a crisis, which he didn't accept you know, the past three years. Now he's accepting there's a crisis, but he's blaming Republicans and saying that they haven't given him the legislative tools he needs to deal with the crisis. And that's an absolute lie. He has in law right now all the mechanisms he needs to get the, the border under control. Now, presidents aside, a federal judge has blocked a rule, has ruled against Texas, blocking a new rule where Texas would have been allowed to arrest illegal immigrants. Now, Governor Greg Abbott has responded on X, saying the trial judge said from the bench that this case will be decided by SCOTUS or the Supreme Court, adding, I agree, Texas has solid legal grounds to defend against an invasion. Where do you see this going? Well, Governor Abbott is right on the under Article One of the Constitution states do reserve, the Constitution reserves the right to fight, to defend themselves, to, for states to defend themselves against an invasion. And this is what, what they're experiencing. It's an actual invasion. So they can actually uh, arrest people who enter illegally. What the federal judge said is that under the Constitution, it is the federal government who is called to enforce immigration law, not the states. And that's why uh, he agreed with, uh, with those who were seeking the injunction. But I think at the end, it's going to end up in the Supreme Court. And I think the Supreme Court will probably side with, with Texas. Now, New York City's Mayor Eric Adams is saying that he wants to change the city's sanctuary laws, calling for illegal immigrants suspected of major crimes to be turned over to ICE. Now, this comes after a string of high-profile cases, <laughs> including a shooting in Times Square. Now, on the flip side, an attorney with New York Civil Liberties Union says this will result in cruel targeting of these people. What's your take on all of this? That's absurd. It, 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 will, it will help, actually prosecute criminals. But, you know, it's incredible. Eric Adams, who ran as a defender of sanctuary cities, all of a sudden, all these Democrat mayors are changing their tune, saying that they need to change sanctuary city rules so they can go after criminals. Well, 
because of the policies that they've supported of open borders and of sanctuary cities, they're receiving thousands of immigrants who are involved in criminal activity. We know that the, that the well-known, renowned Venezuelan criminal gang, Tren de Aragua, has, is involved in crime in New York. Uh, and, you know, this is a very ser serious uh, uh, gang, criminal gang. So, of course, now he's saying that immigration, that, that, that there's a border crisis, that immigration is an issue. But that's not what he was saying three years ago. So I, I think we should take note of that. And on that note, a Georgia nursing student, Lake and Riley's murder has right. brought up a lot of focus on, especially the sheriff in the town who ran on not cooperating with ICE. Now, given that this is an election year, how likely are we to see voters vote for candidates based on immigration and border policies? I, I think it's a huge issue. In some polls, is the number one issue. Um, I think we're seeing all these local official, officials changing their tune. They ran supporting sanctuary cities, supporting, criticizing Donald Trump for his strong border security policies. So we're going to see all these candidates reinventing themselves, saying that they they really want to deal with the border crisis, that they want to be tough on on the border. But the reality is that that they're not. And in the case of Joe Biden, he actually created the crisis that we're, we're experiencing. Alfonso Aguilar, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Devastating wildfires continue to sweep through the Texas panhandle, posing threats to homes, livestock and livelihoods. NTD's Christina Corona brings us an update on the catastrophic blaze and a warning. This report contains footage that some viewers may find disturbing. The Smokehouse Creek Fire has burned over 1 million acres in Texas, marking it as the largest recorded fire in the state and was just 3% contained as of Thursday morning. It also scorched more than 31,500 acres in Oklahoma as of Wednesday afternoon. The Inferno is one of five major fires burning in the Texas panhandle with no end in sight. We basically have lost everything. This is the only pair of pants I've got. The shirt, that's it. Many residents not only lost their homes, but their pets too. I figured the way, the fire, where the fire was, I figured I was all right trying to get out of there. So lost eight dogs and 10 ducks. According to AgriLife Extension agent Andy Holloway estimates 5,000 head of cattle have died as 80% of the county has burned. The Celebration Family Church in the small town of Fritch offered people and animals shelter as the blaze forced them to leave their homes. We had 50 plus people um, that has come through. We've tried to keep everybody's name, but at one point there was just so many coming in and some of them would come in to use the restroom but go back out in their car because they had their animals. Two fatalities have been confirmed in relation to the fires. An 83-year-old grandmother in Stinnett and Cindy Owen, who was stranded on a road in Pampa surrounded by fire. She was taken to the hospital and succumbed to her injuries. Authorities have not yet disclosed the number of homes destroyed. Despite losing his home, one resident counts his blessings. You know, we're the people here in the Panhandle, we're strong. Uh, and, and that's just what you see is strength. Everybody coming together, people helping people out. We'll get it cleaned up, we'll rebuild. We're, we're a strong people here. 
Some donation sites have been set up for those wanting to help the victims of the wildfires across the area. Donations for snacks, non-perishable food, hygiene items, diapers, wipes, formula, first aid supplies, pet supplies, and blankets can be taken to the Borger Aluminum Dome. Christina Corona, NTD News. And more intense weather over in California. Parts of the state could see up to 10 feet of snow by this weekend. The Sierra Nevada region is bracing for a multi-day blizzard. It's expected to begin tonight and last until Sunday. Weather forecast Snow Donner Pass could see 5 to 10 feet of snow by the time the blizzard ends. Lake Tahoe could see 3 to 6 feet of snow. These locations could also experience wind gusts of 50 to 100 miles per hour for three days. This is while windswept rain soaks the coastal areas of California. Weather forecasters are warning of the danger of avalanches. Coming up hotter, more dangerous and much harder to extinguish. Electric vehicle fires are very different from fires in gas powered cars. Lawmakers hold a hearing to explore solutions. In baseball news, Dodgers star Shohei Otani made a surprising off the field announcement today regarding his love life. And today is Leap Day, and it's extra special for people born or married on this day. We'll see how some are celebrating when we come back. Welcome back. I'm Tiffany Meyer, a probe into Chinese-made smart cars. The Biden administration says it will investigate Chinese-made internet-connected vehicles. Officials are concerned they can gather sensitive information about Americans who drive them. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo said connected cars are like smartphones on wheels and pose a serious risk. She added these vehicles collect huge amounts of sensitive data on the drivers, including personal and biometric information. On top of this, bad actors can also remotely manipulate smart cars. Raimondo said, imagine if there were hundreds of thousands of Chinese connected cars on American roads that could be immediately disabled by somebody in Beijing. She noted it's scary to contemplate the cyber risks. The U.S. now imposes steep tariffs on cars imported from China, but some Chinese companies are looking to get around tariffs by setting up plants in Mexico. Electric vehicle fires can be more dangerous than gas vehicle fires. Though studies say they're less likely to happen, when they do, they're far hotter and much harder to put out. NTD's Virginia Gibson has more. Electric vehicle fires are uniquely challenging to put out. They can be far hotter. They pose a risk of electrocution, and they are very, very hard to put out. Firefighters in Wakefield, Massachusetts had to dump uh, 20,000 gallons of water over two hours to put out an EV fire. Firefighters in Sacramento were forced to submerge an EV in a makeshift pond because the vehicle kept reigniting. At a congressional hearing Thursday, lawmakers discussed electric vehicle or EV fire safety. Congressman Jay Obernolt said that these fires are so hard to extinguish, carmakers recommend letting them burn themselves out. In my home state of California, where wildfires are an ever-present danger, letting an EV just burn itself out is not an option. Fire Chief Dan Muncy expressed concern about smoke inhalation. I've seen way too many firefighters pass away and die from cancer. 
Uh, our cancer rate is higher than the civilian population. I've personally been to five cancer funerals for our members in the last five years. Inhaling smoke in general has the risk of cancer, but electric vehicle fires can also release toxic gases that can cause a respiratory damage. Muncie played this video, showing why it's important to deal with EV fires quickly. What you see here is a single family residence in the Denver metro area. The firefighters had a garage. The first screen showed uh, gases and smoke that under pressurized environment. They now have to remove the car using specialized equipment, the blankets in the firefighter's hand. While the fire looks controlled, it is not. There's th still thermal runaway of that battery and it can ignite at any time. This blanket is used to keep that fire under check. Muncie said the blanket can cost between $3,000 and $5,000. After the firefighters took the vehicle to a tow yard, they had to dig an artificial pond and submerge the vehicle. Muncie said fire departments may have to spend millions on better methods. EV fires are challenging, but studies show they are rarer than gas engine fires. According to FEMA, if your vehicle, EV or gas, catches fire, pull over as quickly as you can when it's safe. Turn off the engine. Do not open the hood or trunk. Get at least 100 feet away from the vehicle and call 911. Virginia Gibson, NTD News. The FDA says certain types of forever chemicals will no longer be used in U.S. food packaging. The agency announced yesterday materials like fast food wrappers, microwave popcorn bags and pizza boxes were a major source of exposure to certain types of PFAS. The hormone disturbing chemical has been linked to a variety of health effects, including certain cancers. In 2011, the chemical stopped being sold in the U.S. due to safety concerns. The FDA estimates it could take another 18 months after the products containing the substances are phased out. So far, 12 states have moved to ban or phase out PFAS in food packaging. Baseball star Shohei Otani made headlines this offseason when he signed a record-breaking contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Today, he made headlines again, but this time with a personal announcement. NTD's Dave Martin has that story and more. Two-time reigning MVP Shohei Otani announced today that he got married during the offseason. The 29-year-old posted the news on social media, saying only that she's from his native country of Japan and is, quote, very special to me. The Japanese star, though, did not announce her name, but said he would reveal more in an upcoming interview. Otani, who also signed a $700 million contract in the offseason after a long but somewhat mysterious free agency tour, made his Dodgers spring training debut this week, hitting home run on Tuesday. The two-way star will be relegated to just a hitter this season as he recovers from arm surgery, something he also did in 2019 when he was a member of the Dodgers' crosstown rival, the Los Angeles Angels. Last year, Otani led the league with 44 home runs, yet also posted 10 wins as a pitcher before an arm injury cut short his season. And in college football news, the AP is reporting that college football playoff officials are discussing a new 14-team playoff that would include three guaranteed spots each for the Big Ten and SEC, two for the Big 12 and ACC, and one for the highest-ranked team from outside the power conferences. The other three spots would be at-large bids selected by the committee. The changes, should they happen, wouldn't be effective until 2026. This year, the number of playoff teams jumps from 4 to 12, with five automatic bids, 
given to the five highest-ranked conference champions. The remaining seven spots would be at-large bids selected by the committee. Meanwhile, ESPN has agreed in principle to continue to televise the playoffs for another six years at a reported $1.3 billion per season, or nearly $8 billion in total. But the deal has not yet been finalized. This is Dave Martin for NTD News. It's Leap Day and about 5 million people worldwide are sharing a Leap birthday. That's one out of almost 8 billion people on the planet. Let's hear how some are celebrating. 23-year-old Shelly Dean from Seattle, Washington, chooses a rosy attitude about being a Leapling. When the clock is turning between the 28th and March 1st, I just kind of go, woo, and then that's like the biggest celebration because there's not really a day. Um, but yeah, growing up, it was a lot different. Um, I still had the birthday parties every year, but really big ones every four years. But now it's just kind of um, just a normal day. But this year is different. This will be the first birthday that I'm going to celebrate with my family in eight years, which is super exciting because the last sleep day I was on the other side of the country in New York for college. So I'm just so excited to actually be with them. My mom has a birthday three days before, so it's just like a very big year. Dean didn't get to choose her leap day milestone, but Megan and Stephen Prince did. For this couple, who first met at a friend's Leap Day birthday celebration where Stephen was playing in a band, the date seemed a natural conclusion to their four-year courtship. They say the time between their anniversaries makes marking the occasion more meaningful. Personally, for me, it helps me refocus on the very beginning and, and the day we got married and, you know, and uh, so for, for me, it's almost like a renewal of bowels, 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's a renewal of bowels, I'll take an A please, uh, every four years. It's definitely the real anniversary. We don't um, celebrate a lot other years. And then when, uh, whenever a leap year comes around, people call and text and say, how many years? Is, yeah, it? is yeah. it four years? Is That's it five years? Earth's orbit isn't precisely 365 days a year. According to NASA, the trip takes about six hours longer than that. Leap days exist to make up for the neglected time. The next leap years are 2028, 2032, and 2036. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.